I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Great to be with you. And as always, we're trying to help you cut through everything, divide the rage from the reason, and Elevate the conversation. We always count on you to help us with that. Uh, make sure you do that on our Utah Community Credit Union KSL text line at 57500. Let us know what you're thinking, what you're seeing out there that can help us elevate and illuminate the conversation here. As we've been mentioning, the uh, hearings in the Senate Judiciary Committee continue to roll on. Uh, Ted Cruz is currently uh, in control of the microphone and is uh, mostly talking to Judge Barrett, uh, not a lot of questions going back and forth. Uh, and again, this is my worry. Again, remember, we've got 30 minutes from each of the senators, and then we'll do a second round. <laughs> second round will be 20 minutes for each of these senators. And I, I am worried that the further it goes, the more political it's going to be. And the less time, uh, I think we'll, it will continue to go down. The amount of time that uh, Judge Barrett will speak is going to continue to go smaller and smaller as the politicians try to score political points in this process as opposed to really assessing her judicial temperament, what her beliefs are, and uh, how she will approach her job as a member of the United States Supreme Court. And to me, the most important thing is, is this a person of principle? And do they apply those principles and follow those principles as it relates to the rule of law and the Constitution? And we have to remember what this job is. This job is not to legislate. This job is to judge. And those are two different animals. The judge is calling balls and strikes. Uh, It's up to Congress to deal with things uh, as it relates to legislation and and creation of those laws. And we have to get back to that. Uh, All of this uh, politics in this has, has really raised the question that if uh, Joe Biden were to become the president, uh, would he pack the court, which is, again, just adding additional members to the court? Uh, There is nothing uh, constitutionally that says uh, you have to have nine left up to Congress. So, again, that would require a different kind of change. But this has really come to the fore because uh, neither Joe Biden nor Kamala Harris have been willing to answer the question as to whether or not they would pack the court. So that's gone back and forth in terms of, well, you know, would you, wouldn't you? And and when they don't answer, uh, it becomes more problematic. In fact, Joe Biden was just asked the other day, 
will you indeed pack the Supreme Court if you are elected president? This was in Cincinnati, and here was his response. They're court packing right now. The election is underway. This has never occurred before. The Constitution implies that advise and consent is the way in which you provide for the ability of the American people to be in on the deal. Who they vote for for the Senate, who they vote for for president, determines who's likely to make the judgment on the court. I'm not a fan of court packing, but I'm not, I don't want to get off on that whole issue. So again, refusing to say, no, I would not do that. Uh, and I think this is, again, take back it up. Look at it from pure politics standpoint. Uh, not smart, I don't think, on the Democrat side. If they create the Supreme Court as the supreme issue in the election, that benefits President Trump in a big way. A lot of those voters who voted for him solely on the basis of the Supreme Court in 2016, many of which have just disconnected from the political process, may not even vote this round. They're not showing up in polls, to be sure. And if suddenly they're uh, aroused by that same singular issue and whether that's stopping Joe Biden from packing the court or whether that's just ensuring that uh, there are more Supreme Court justices nominated by the president, that might get them off the couch to the kitchen table to vote by mail uh, in this election cycle. Really interesting. Um, Back in 2005, back in 2005, this was a speech on the floor of the United States Senate by then-Senator Joe Biden, and he had a very definitive and very different take as it relates to packing the court. So let me describe in some detail. In the summer of 37, Roosevelt had just come off a landslide victory over Alf Landon. He had a Congress made up of solid new dealers, but the nine old men of the court were thwarting his agenda. In this environment, Roosevelt, and remember this old adage about power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, corrupted by power, in my view, unveiled his court-packing plan. He wanted to increase the number of justices to 15, allowing himself to nominate those additional judges. He took an act of courage and the part of his own party institutionally to stand up against this power grab. Very fascinating. So he is describing, of course, FDR uh, after a big landslide victory, had new dealers uh, in uh, the House and the Senate, And the only thing that was stopping his agenda was, as Joe Biden described it, the nine old men of the court. Uh, They kept shooting down the things that he was doing. So he wanted to pack the court. And as Joe Biden described, it took the courage of those in his own party to stand up and thwart that. Really interesting. Uh, So we'll see how that continues to play out. If that continues to be a driving political force, And all of this has very little to do with uh, whether or not uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett uh, should be on the Supreme Court or not. Uh, I think both sides have decided that's just going to happen on the floor of the Senate uh, once all of the uh, speechifying and very few questions and no hearing or listening going on uh, gets wrapped up over the next few days. So that's going to continue to to move along there. Uh, I do want to hit one other component uh, from the court and from the hearings today. Uh, she was uh, Judge Barrett was uh, pressed by multiple senators about uh, senators about abortion rights and and life, and uh, she had an interesting take on that one. Life is in fact valuable. It's not a religious statement to make that observation. In fact, it's the foundation of basically all of our laws. 
Uh, that was Utah Senior Senator Mike Lee, who sits on that committee. He had his 30 minutes earlier today. Much more on that uh, coming up throughout the day here on KSL News Radio. And uh, the interesting thing to me in, in all of this, as we as we try to step back, as we try to divide this out just a little bit, uh, as to what it, it really means for each of us. And uh, I think there are some things that are just very important for us to, to step back and look at. Uh, one is the nature of the court itself. What is the job? What is the role of the court? Uh, the court, the Supreme Court, uh, only deals with those issues that simply cannot be resolved in lower courts. And so the number of cases that they see is is really quite small comparatively. If you look at the nation of 320 plus million and you have all of the lower courts. And so it's only those rare few items that actually make their way and get on the docket uh, to be heard in front of the Supreme Court. So that's a small number. And then you go through and you look at the decisions made by the court, regardless of who the justices were appointed by. The vast majority, vast majority of the cases in the Supreme Court are decided nine to zero. That is the most common ruling number in any case before the Supreme Court, nine oh. The second most common is eight to one. And the third is seven to two. So, again, the vast majority of those cases that appear before the Supreme Court are decided in a pretty significant way. Uh, That is not division. Of course, those we obsess on and those that are uh, the hot-button issues that are decided by 5-4, those certainly matter and are are important. Uh, But we do need to get it out of our heads that this is all just uh, complete politics and polarization. Uh, that's the big myth of the country. It's the big myth of the court. We're not that divided. We just aren't. And we need to stop acting like it uh, because some of us are starting to believe it. And when we start to believe that we're too divided, then it's an us versus them. That's where resentment creeps in. That's where contempt is born. Uh, and that's where we get sideways on a host of things that are pretty irrelevant in terms of where we are as a country and more importantly, where we need to go. The biggest question for all of us is, what am I going to do today to add or detract from the conversation, elevating the conversation that this country needs to have? We have some crucial conversations that need to be had. Stay with us. When we come back, we're going to talk about those crucial conversations. I'm going to share with you some of the an interview I did with Joseph Grinney just a while back in terms of what do you bring to a political conversation to make it good, to make it productive, to make it move forward. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America, but this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.